Welcome to the Church Interpreting Podcast. My name is Lauren Albisi. And I'm Jonathan Daney. And on the show today, we have with us Betty Lewis. She is a professional conference interpreter who is originally from Colorado and is now based out of Costa Rica. Her church started having bilingual services back in 1998, and they have been going steady with that right now. And so we wanted to get a little bit of her insight. And before we even get started, I just wanted to know, Betty, um, how are you? How did you get started in all of this? Well, I got started in interpreting because I stumbled into it. <laughs> I I never knew what I wanted to do when I grew up. And I went through college taking every course I could think of and liking it all and thinking, oh, I could major in this. I could major in that. I already was quite fluent in Spanish at that point because I had very good teachers in high school and junior high. I did end up majoring in Spanish, after which I had no idea what to do next. So a, a year later, I stumbled into um, graduate studies in translating and interpreting. I went to Monterey and discovered what I had been born for. It, I was good at it. I liked it. My Spanish, my both, both of my languages were strong. And so that's what I did. And that's what I've been doing ever since. Now, church interpreting, um, my church was always an English language church. It was the only one for many years in Costa Rica. People came from all over to worship in English. As the years went by, and as this city grew and became more difficult to navigate, more and more churches began to open up in English, especially on the other side of town. People couldn't be bothered to drive all the way across town. So there were other English language churches. And meanwhile, uh, our own congregation was becoming more and more settled uh, here. People were marrying Costa Ricans. People had Costa Rican neighbors. And they wanted to bring guests to church, but it was all in English. So we began to see that, and our children were all bilingual. So we began to see the need to have services in both languages. And that's why we started doing it. We've been doing it, as 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 you said, for quite a long time now, for many years now. Um, when we first, I was a conference interpreter already. And when we first started using interpreting in the service, they didn't even ask me to stand up and take over. They were respecting my situation as a professional and didn't want to to make that demand on me. So another friend at church was doing most of the interpreting. He was quite gifted, a Guatemalan. I would, when we had guest speakers, I would interpret into English, but most of the interpreting was into Spanish. And as time went by, we eventually set up a team and I did some training and we ended up taking turns. We had a team that were rotating and the duties. So that's how it happened. It's pretty cool and a little bit unusual from what, how we have usually seen things happen, right? It was like, oh, I started in the church and then I went into the professional world, but you come from this um, opposite background. Do you think there were any obstacles you from transferring your schools from one thing to the next one? I um, didn't know a lot of Christian language, if I may. I grew up in a Presbyterian church where they didn't speak a lot of churches. And so I didn't speak it in English or Spanish. So when I realized we were going in this direction, I started listening to the Christian radio stations day and night to try to pick up the language. So my main obstacle was that just as in any other interpreting assignment, you have to learn the language. 
So I made it my business to learn the language. And I don't have a lot of scripture in my brain memorized. Some of the interpreters on our team do, but I need to look up the scriptures and I don't translate the Bible on the fly. I look it up. So that I have to I have to know what they're going to be quoting when I when I go into the service. I believe we all do that. We all try to look it up because it's very hard to translate it on the fly, right? Um, it's just one of those things where it's always going to be kind of like your biggest, I don't want to call it enemy, obviously not that, but just the thing that you have to struggle with the most in, yeah. in interpreting. But I, I think that the um, scripture that you have memorized inhabits a different part of your brain from the part that does the interpreting. And sometimes it's like numbers, you know, in conference interpreting numbers are so difficult because you keep them in a different part of your brain and it's hard to draw them out. And I think the same is true for, for memorized scripture. I know people who have had enough practice that, that they've got it there. They, it, it's very accessible to them, but it, it does take extra mental effort. It does. It does take extra mental effort. Um, do you think there were any other obstacles your church faced when you were trying to move into this bilingual church? You know what? I don't remember having problems. Um, our church likes having, we use consecutive interpreting and the church likes it. The congregation likes it. It's very much a part of what we do. Uh, everyone enjoys it. People learn more words. We have a lot of bilinguals in the church and they very much enjoy the process. We have people who need English. We have people who need Spanish. And so it's it's very much a group effort. Um, so there wasn't resistance. We didn't have any resistance among the congregation. People were happy to to do this. We had when we had started realizing the need, we had initially offered two services: a Spanish service and an English service. And we did that for a few years, but we found that it was creating division. We were two congregations, and we didn't want that. We wanted to be one church, one congregation. So the solution was certainly an improvement over the problem. That's why I'm saying there wasn't any resistance, really. People were glad that we were together again. No, and that makes a lot of sense. It, it does create, when you have two separate services, it's really hard to make it just one <laughs> church. Um, you have to work really hard at it. And so sometimes the solution is something a little bit more simple. One thing you have been telling me before is that Again, people really enjoy the aspect of the consecutive and they can sometimes they participate with telling you some words when you're at a loss for them. Right. So that is something that's very different from the from conference interpreting as a whole. Have you found any other big differences between both things? You know, it's interpreting in a setting where you know everybody and you're all friends is very different in conference interpreting. That's not the case. People are nice to you over the coffee break, but you don't know them. They aren't your friends. And some of them aren't even nice to you at all. It's really enjoyable to be interpreting in a setting where we're all friends and we're all on the same team and we're all helping each other, where people really appreciate a particularly clever turn of phrase or things like that. It's very nice. Um, it's become, like I say, a part of who we are. With the consecutive interpreting, not only is it not uncomfortable for people, but I've heard a lot of people say, you know, hearing it twice helps me understand the message better. It slows me down, forces me to consider what I'm hearing. So people really like it. Jonathan had a webinar a, a week or two ago about church interpreting, and somebody mentioned 
that people are often unwilling to take the earphone and listen to the interpreting because they don't want everyone to know that they don't know the language. I've had that happen in professional settings. Of course, in our church, it's not a problem because we use consecutive. But I, I, I volunteered in a workshop of some kind a number of years ago involving various churches. And one of the churches did have a setup for simultaneous interpreting. There were some guest speakers from the United States who were English speakers. We did consecutive on stage when they spoke English and everyone needed Spanish. But when Spanish speakers were on the stage, I did simultaneous into English for the guests. Well, one of the guests afterwards, I said, did, did your equipment work? Did it work fine? I was just checking in with him. And he said, oh, I didn't use an earphone because I was just, I, people would look at me funny and they would realize I didn't. So I just pretend that I understood. This is a guest speaker. And I thought, you know, maybe people would appreciate the fact that you really want to understand what they have to say. I didn't say anything. I just said, oh, that's too bad. But that was what I was thinking. I hadn't seen that kind of thing in a church setting, although I've seen it in professional settings where people are don't want anyone to know that they don't know English. We see that a lot. People hold on to their pride very strongly. And part of it is like, I know I came into this building and I'm going to know and understand what is happening. I'm dealing with that with one of our church members right now. So I understand where that's coming from. And it can be hard to work through that, right? We got to let people make their choices sometimes when it comes to those kind of things, don't we? Yeah. yeah. Something else about interpreting in the church my, I have a personal bias against heavy in-house jargon. Every field, every discipline, every area of study or of work has its own language. It's part of being part of the team, part of the group. I happen to feel that in church, in-house jargon is inappropriate. Because in-house jargon is a marker that we are part of the club. In a church, we want people to come in, come in who are not part of the club. We want to attract people. So I'm language, uh, the way I speak, I tr really try to stay away from all that church words, all that church language. And I assume you know what I'm talking about, all those churchy words we like to use. Um, first of all, I'm not fluent in church. In, <laughs> I don't speak church fluently. And I don't want to. So, but that's, that's an issue, especially, you know, some of the other interpreters on our team do speak church. And so it, it's a personal style. My own personal style is to stay away from it. But that's that's an issue that in church interpreting that I see. And in fact, once you've been listening to it all your life, you don't even hear it. You just think that's regular English or regular Spanish, but it's not. I've I've been speaking church a lot of my life, right? <laughs> and so I understand there are words that I will use, even when I'm interpreting into English. I subconsciously found ways to say the church stuff that I knew how to say in Spanish in English. And there are times in which I find myself at a crux of like, did people understand what I was trying to say? So I make it a point to go and get feedback from people, right? Um, and I think that's one thing that really changes things because it, it there's this balance you need to have right between, did they use a churchy word and I'm gonna interpret that? Or did I use a churchy word? I understand where you're coming from. It, it, there's that two sections, two roads that you could take when it comes to those kind of things, right? So those are quite big differences there, but um, and, and they're different, but they're also similar in the way of like, okay, church has its own jargon, but every other discipline has its own jargon as well. And mm -hmm. we just have to work with within that, right? Do you think that 
in that same vein of thought, you had to let go of certain things that you did in the professional world to come into church interpreting? The, the ability to, to receive suggestions from the congregation, which we do sometimes, we say, oh, I can't think of that. And so you look up and they all throw words at you. You can't do that in a professional context. You just have to keep going and not, not let anyone guess that you didn't know the word. And that's nice to be able to relax like that. And it's it becomes an exchange between congregation, preacher, and interpreter. My first professional impulse is, is to not let on because that's what you do. You don't let on. But in church, you can let on. It's it's part of what we do. So yeah, I've had to learn how to do that, to drop my pride a little bit. And I know, because in the professional world, like you're interpreting, it's yours. There's no other person that is responsible for it. It's just me. But when you come <laughs> to the church, it's not just me, right? But also, when you're trained to be an interpreter, one of the things you learn is if they realize you're having trouble, they won't believe you anymore. You have got to keep their belief. You've got to make sure your listeners still trust you. And so you can't be stumbling around looking for the right word um, because you'll lose them. Yeah. In church, that's not a problem. So that's that's a big difference. I don't think I've ever lost a person because I didn't know a word. <laughs> At least not in the church. No, not in the church. I'm yeah. in the professional setting. Mm -hmm. No, in the professional setting, that can be a little cutthroat, right? There. Yeah. Like, oh, you didn't know that. What would you say are skills that transfer over from one setting into the other? One thing I'm pretty good at is mind reading. <laughs> Maybe it's because I've been doing this for 40 years, you know, you get better at it. But I find that I can usually figure out where the speaker is going, even if they haven't quite said it. I can, you know, good interpreters do that. They learn to follow the message, not just the words. And so that very much carries over, uh, especially because you don't always have prof professional speakers in the church. And so they have trouble getting there, but you can see where they're going. And so you can smooth it out. And I, I, that very much carries over. Also, the ability to find synonyms, find other ways to say things, to turn the sentence around so that it makes more sense in the target language. All of those things um, really matter. Something else very important, especially, especially for consecutive interpreting, is public speaking skills. You need to speak with aplomb, with confidence, and you have to do that in professional interpreting as well. And that's something we work with the, with the volunteers on that, you know, speak up, speak into the mic, be confident. That's, that's all really important. That's all for this month's episode. If you'd like to hear the rest of this conversation, be sure to subscribe on your favourite podcast platform, as we'll be posting the second half of this interview in January. Also, please do drop us a star rating or review on Apple Podcasts as it helps people to discover the podcast. As ever, if you'd like any further help or information on church interpreting, check out churchinterpreting.com. Thank you for listening.